The sermon text for today is John 10, 11 through 21. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. For Christmas time this year, our FEC Kids ministry has focused on the names of Jesus. And knowing they were going to do this a few months ago, they asked if we might um, draft a sermon series uh, around that emphasis. And so that's what we're doing. It's just a, a three-week series. We're right in the middle of it. But the series is His Name Shall Be Called. And you have a lot of uh, choices when you have a series on the names of Jesus. You have his proper names, like Emmanuel, and then you have descriptors of Jesus. And Andrew got us started last week with Great High Priest, a descriptor of Jesus thick with Old Testament, Old Covenant background. Here in John 10, we're going to look at another descriptor. Jesus called himself not just shepherd, but good shepherd. And shepherd is also thick with Old Testament background. Shepherd was often used as a synonym for the function of the priests and even the prophets. Psalm 23, we all know that one. The Lord is my shepherd. And it goes on to draw off that analogy. But looking at John 10, Jesus calling himself good. Good is not a superlative for superlative sake in this particular context. Good means quality. It means worth, a worthwhileness. There's, there's uh, in all likelihood, Jesus was thinking back to prophets like Ezekiel and Zechariah hundreds of years before him who had confronted worthless shepherds. And so Jesus is drawing an intentional contrast between that in the background, the worthless shepherd, and he, the good shepherd, meaning the worthwhile shepherd. So we'll look at good shepherd today. Then next week, we'll look at the lion and the lamb, Revelation 5, that contrast within Jesus' uh, person, he is a lion, he is a lamb. We'll look at that next week, but this week, John 10. We're just getting our bearings 
To begin here, we're going to pick up some contrasts first as you're looking at the text that Tim read for us. Notice you've got a contrast between the shepherd and the hired hand in the early part of the text. Verses 11 and 12 and 13, the hired hand contrasted to the shepherd. The contrast there is that one takes responsibility for the flock in their vulnerability and the other refuses that. It's not just that the hired hand doesn't take responsibility, he refuses responsibility for the flock in their vulnerability. That's key, we'll come back to it. And then there's the contrast between sheep folds. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. What does he mean? He's talking to Jews, so in this context he means Gentiles. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, because Jesus' sheep hear his voice. And he finishes off verse 16, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now the point of the metaphor that Jesus is using here, calling himself the good shepherd, the point of it is how personally invested Jesus is in his people. That's the message today. If you get nothing else, that's the mainstay message. How personally invested Jesus is in his people. That's the point of him calling himself good shepherd. A shepherd is invested. And he's invested in at least two ways. Jesus is personally invested in his people by way of his responsibility for us in our vulnerability, not just responsibility for us, responsibility for us in our vulnerability. And also Jesus is personally invested in his people by way of his authority over us. So his responsibility for us in our vulnerability and his authority over us. That is wrapped up in this imagery of the good shepherd. And we'll take those as our two points, one, two, momentarily. The shepherd's responsibility includes the vulnerability of the flock, which also puts him at risk, but he's also the unquestioned authority of his flock, he being the shepherd. These are our two angles today in service to the point of the metaphor. Jesus says twice, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. He repeats it. And the point of the repetition, the point of the metaphor, good shepherd, is just how personally invested Jesus is in his people. So before we get to how so, how invested is he, And we'll get into that from our two angles about responsibility for us and our vulnerability and his authority over us. Let's first get the proper bearings on sheep because there's actually a lot of misunderstanding about sheep. Sheep is a very familiar biblical metaphor for people, uh, but there's uh, ways we we get that, uh, uh, we're a little off with that. Now for Jesus to call himself good shepherd necessitates sheep. That's the only thing you shepherd. But most people, and a lot of us probably, we think of sheep either as stupid animals, easily manipulated, or cute, cuddly animals who give us cardigan sweaters. To that first mindset, sheep are stupid. If that's the mindset a person has, then the sheep language in the Bible is offensive because it translates into mindless religiosity. It offends our sense of independence and self-determination. To the other mindset, 
that sheep are just these cuddly creatures, well, that's uh, more of a sentimentalized uh, kind of association because sheep just make you say, oh, oh look at the little sheep. You know. Now, both defaults, when most people hear sheep, even most people in the church, that's what they think of. Either they're at the sh- sheep or stupid pole or they're at the sentimentality pole. Look how cute they are. Neither is what Jesus had in mind when he called himself the good shepherd. Jesus was not saying, I'm looking for mindless devotion. I'm looking for sheeple, you know, that I can easily manipulate. Nor was he saying, you know, I just feel so sorry for how pitiful people are and I must help them. And he's at neither pole because Jesus doesn't need us. Neither to control us, he doesn't need us to control us, he doesn't need us to fuss over us, neither is true. What is true, and this is the point, what is true is that sheep have particular vulnerabilities to predators. One such predator is mentioned in verse 12 there with the wolf. And Jesus takes responsibility for that, for us, by way of analogy, He takes responsibility for us in our vulnerability. Human beings have particular vulnerabilities. Ours are not wolves and bears and lions so much as they are sin, Satan, and death. And so what Jesus is doing is using a familiar picture in his culture of shepherding sheep to make a larger point about what kind of God he is. And calling himself the good shepherd, Jesus says, I actually share in your vulnerability. I mean, look at it again, the second part of verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The second part of verse 15. I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He shares in our vulnerability. To be vulnerable is to be at risk. But he does so in order to demonstrate his authority. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. So now, we haven't gotten into our two points. We're just getting some bearings here. Don't look at this imagery of sheep, shepherd with sheep. Don't look at sheep and think, we're vulnerable because we're stupid. That's not what Jesus shares in. God brings many intelligent people to himself, by the way who aren't in the habit of sabotaging themselves. I've got a book in my library uh, that is called The Encyclopedia of Stupidity. And guess what's on the cover? A sheep looking really stupidly at a camera. He's like, his face is right up in the camera. We've got to get away from this default notion that sheep are stupid. Sheep can do stupidly. So can people. But the point here is sheep are vulnerable to predators, and so are we. And our predators are sin and Satan and death. What then do sheep need? If sheep are vulnerable, what then do they need? Someone to take responsibility for them in their vulnerability, as they are. Someone to take responsibility for us in our vulnerability to sin and to Satan and to death, as we are. That's what sheep need. Sheep need someone to
to take responsibility for them in their vulnerability, and sheep also need someone to be in authority over them. Those are our two angles, and so we're ready to take them now. First, let's take Jesus taking responsibility for us in our vulnerability. Read with me again verses 11 to 15. I am the good shepherd, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them, scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is how personally invested Jesus is in us, that he would even sacrifice himself for our sake. Shepherds did not, as a rule, give their lives for their flocks. Rare to hear of a predator like back in that time, and still in many places in the world where shepherding happens, Rare to hear of a wolf or a bear or a lion killing the shepherd. But a good shepherd, as opposed to a worthless shepherd, and Israel had a lot of worthless shepherds in their background, bad priests, we think immediately of uh, Samuel's sons, Uh, bad prophets, go back and read the prophets and how often they're, go back and read the kings, kings and chronicles in the Old Testament and you'll see all these bad prophets These are worthless shepherds, they're called. And Israel had a whole history with worthless shepherds. Jesus says the good shepherd that he is will risk himself to protect his flock. He's ultimately responsible for them. But he's responsible for them in their vulnerability. This is is crucial to emphasize. This is the point. Now, why are sheep so vulnerable? I did some research not being a uh, sheep shepherd myself, needed to understand the behavior of sheep and a little bit about the geography and topography of ancient Israelite uh, landscapes. This is uh, from an article I found. Uh, The writer says, sheep are ruminants. That's a new word. That means they're vegetarian animals with a special digestive system. A ruminant chews the cud. And so what that is, if you aren't familiar with cud chewing, sheep are cud chewers, that means they eat grass and they, and they cut the grass in a certain way with their teeth so that they swallow it whole. And then later, they uh, have a stomach in which they pre-digest their food and they regurgitate it up. Now, to sheep, this is beautiful. And they lie down and the regurgitated food is called cud and that cud they chew on. It's called chewing the cud. Chewing the cud, this writer says, is a demanding task. Now, we don't think of it like that. That's news to us. This actually takes energy and effort to chew the cud. And ruminants, like sheep, vegetarian animals who do this, they typically lie down and lapse into a semi-conscious state. Didn't know that either. At this stage, in the semi-conscious state, they're particularly vulnerable to predators. This is why shepherds would take sheep between feeding grounds where they would eat and then resting grounds where they can lapse into this state and chew the cud, the way that sheep digest their food. 
The feeding grounds are where the predators expect them to be. So ruminants tend to eat hurriedly before withdrawing again to resting grounds, their hideaways. He refers to the uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he, he leads me beside still waters. He, he leads me uh, through the valley of the, the shadow of death. And he talks about it this way. He says, uh, the sheep of Psalm 23 have to move from relatively safe resting grounds to new feeding grounds. Frequently, however, listen to this, the terrain allows only a limited number of passages, the terrain of ancient Israel, being rocky in a lot of the places where the sheep were feeding, to get from the feeding ground to the resting ground, they have to go what, what was called forced passageways, narrow And in these narrow places, there are large boulders and they cast shadows. And the predators, the wolves and the bears and the lions, would hide in those shadows and would wait for the sheep to come by and spring on them there, lie in ambush. Quite literally, those boulders became the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? You are with me. Psalm 23. Death is our ultimate vulnerability for human beings. Our ultimate vulnerability is death. Where does death come from? Sin. Sin is a predator. Do you remember we have a vivid portrait of this in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain, Adam and Eve's son, Cain. God warns Cain in Genesis 4 and says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It's a predator. Sin is a super predator with a taste for you and me. And we've wandered right into it. We've gone right for it, each and every one of us. We are vulnerable to the predation of Satan and of sin, which brings eternal death, condemnation by God. This is our vulnerability. And because it is, we need somebody to take responsibility for us in our vulnerability. And Jesus says right here in, verse, in chapter 10 of John, I'm the man for the job. I'll be responsible for you and your vulnerability, your vulnerability to Satan, your vulnerability to sin, your vulnerability to death. I won't leave you on your worst day when you're down on yourself for your unrighteousness, and I won't leave you on your best day when you're proud of yourself for your self-righteousness. Do you realize how awesome this is? For God the Son to call himself a good shepherd means he is responsible for us in our vulnerability, which means he will not abandon us to our sin or our accuser or the grave that we merit. Merry Christmas. When sin took its best shot at him, the good shepherd, he rose above it. In his life, he rose above it by not giving in to Satan, his temptation or or the draw of sin, though, though the scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. He rose above sin in his life and in his death also. He was treated as if he was guilty of everything wrong, everything disordered, everything that separates us from God. He was treated as if he was guilty of that, but he wasn't. God raised him up. Death, the super predator. Death got disoriented that weekend that Jesus died and was buried and rose. Death lost its ultimate prize and turned around and found it was itself bleeding. Jesus gave death a mortal wound by way of his cross. And death is going to bleed out. It's bleeding out now. 
as we anticipate Jesus making all things new. Merry Christmas. What kind of God do we need? Exactly the one we get in Jesus. The one who takes responsibility for us in our vulnerability. Do you know what all other ancient and modern gods are? They're the hired hands. All other gods, ancient and modern, despise people for our vulnerabilities, our frailties. Read about them. Read about Roman and Greek gods and the kind of contempt they had for people in their weaknesses and in their sins. Not this God. This is the true God, the only true God. And the God that we get in Jesus has faced down the super predators we're most vulnerable to, sin and Satan and death, to make his flock safe in his provision for us. And also to guarantee that we'll get to our ultimate resting grounds. We'll get home. If you want a a cross-reference, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. But Paul, in some of his most well-known words in Romans 8, Paul says there, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists predators, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, meaning want or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch in in there the the reference to sheep being slaughtered and, and Paul saying, no, no, that's not the case. In Romans 8, he's actually quoting a lament psalm, Psalm 44. Let me give you a flavor for that. And we'll bring it back to John 10. Paul, in Romans 8, that marvelous passage I just read to you, that we are loved with a love that raises the dead, and therefore we are more than conquerors. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. I mean, a conqueror would be enough. To be more than a conqueror means that every predator, including the ultimate one, death, has been defeated by a particular personal love that God has for us, not something general And Paul quotes there Psalm 44. Listen to Psalm 44, its original wording. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, a hired hand, if you will, would God not discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget your, our affliction and oppression? Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. That's hard. What's going on in Psalm 44 is that people are feeling abandoned. They're feeling like, What's happening when we're going through the boulders and the forced passageways? We're getting slaughtered here, Lord. Why don't you wake up and see what's going on with your people and do something about us? And Jesus says in John 10, here I am. 
He picks up that old echo from Psalm 44 and says, I'm not asleep on God. You are. I'm not. He says, I'm alert and I see you. I know you. I'm for you. I haven't hidden my face from the flock and you're not going to be slaughtered. You're going to be redeemed. It's beautiful how Jesus takes passages about judgment and shadow of death and turns them into places where he meets us personally and draws us to himself. His responsibility for us in our vulnerability. Beautiful. But second now, his authority over us. This is also beautiful. Our second takeaway has to do with authority. It's the rest of the passage. A worthwhile shepherd, a good shepherd, is the unquestioned authority of his flock. Look at verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. A worthwhile, a quality, a good shepherd is the unquestioned authority of his flock. Now, we've been, we've been thinking in this message about vulnerability. We can keep thinking about it here under authority. Not just the responsibility Jesus takes for us in our vulnerability, but another vulnerability of ours comes by way just because we bear the name of Christ. We are vulnerable in the world to those who oppose that name. Another vulnerability of ours is to the aggression of the world due to Jesus being our shepherd. Being under the authority of Jesus puts the world in a predatory relationship to the church because the world is opposed to Christ-likeness. Please hear me being very specific. It's not Christianity the world is opposed to because the world can manipulate Christianity. The world can oppose and, and, and... Corrupt Christianity, the world is opposed to Christ-likeness. Can we talk about this? The world is not actually opposed to Christianity, no. The world has proven it can successfully corrupt Christianity and use Christianity and play Christians in quests for power and control. Political leaders do it all the time. They play us. I'm not being cynical here. Many leaders serve for the public good, thank God for them. But many use us for their own good and we are willing to be used. If that's Christianity, I don't know what Christianity is anymore. A lot of what passes for Christianity now in America is really conservatism as a competing religion or progressivism. Let's go to the other pole as a competing religion if you're in certain mainline churches. Certain churches like ours, it's conservatism. Certain mainline churches, it's progressivism. But it's competing with Christ-likeness. That's what the world cannot corrupt. The world cannot corrupt Christ-likeness. But corrupted Christianity is all about power. And conservatism wants power. And progressivism wants power. Jesus judges both. He's not a conservative, he's not a progressive, he's Lord. 
And Jesus judges both because it's the stuff of verses 19 and 21. Look at this. Look at verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words where he's asserting his authority and they want to pick it apart. What does that sound like? Sounds like the way modern Americans live. We pick everything apart. Many of them said he has a demon, verse 20, and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these aren't the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're not arguing over whether Jesus is God, whether he has authority. In fact, this is not the first time they've argued it. If you go back a chapter, chapter 9, verse 16, the Pharisees say, this man's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others say, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there's a division among them, among the religious leaders. They're arguing here over whether he has a demon or not. American Christianity in the 21st century has become division among ourselves over competing loyalties and tribes and personal rights and viewpoints. We are far more enlightenment than we are evangelical. The whole, prop, the whole project of the enlightenment was to enshrine personal liberty and individualism. If that's Christianity, I don't know what Christianity is anymore. But I do know what Christlikeness is, and you do too. And I believe you, as much as I do, really yearn for more Christ-likeness in the church. I think you want that, and I know that I want that. But we have moved into an era in which it is going to be necessary now to distinguish between Christianity that's been taken over by nominalism, by nationalism, by individualism, we're going to have to distinguish that from Christ-likeness, which prioritizes the authority of Jesus over his church and our wills surrendered to him, which is not authoritarianism. That's ugly. The authority of Jesus is beautiful because look at what he's building. One shepherd, one flock. Memorize the very end of verse 16. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And how does he make this happen? Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. You know, the reason we make so much in evangelical theology of Jesus saying, I lay my life down of my own accord, is due to his absolute authority which we recognize is both winsome and welcoming in the way he holds out his authority to us. It's good for us. But the reason we vigorously oppose theologies that try to portray God the Son as the, the poor victim of the Father's wrath is because Jesus was no victim. He says so here. What he does from the cross later on you know, when he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive these for they don't know what they're doing. People locked into victimization don't do that. They can't forgive like that. They won't because they're desperate to keep their leverage over the one who hurt them. When Jesus said, verse 18, no one takes it from me, my life. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. He is saying, I am no victim. I will never be a victim. And so I don't need to leverage anyone. Everyone is answerable to me anyway. That's what he says. Incredible how he did it. It's incredible how he did this. 
Of all the ways God could have presented his authority to us, the way he does it is that he makes himself vulnerable so we would not suffer the worst of our vulnerabilities. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again, and for that reason, he loves us also. Merry Christmas. Stand with me, let's pray, and then we'll sing and be dismissed. You are our great shepherd, responsible for us in our vulnerability, over us in your authority. We thank you for how you blend both. We'll keep talking about it next week, Lord, with the lion and the lamb. Your own vulnerability, but your triumph over it. Thank you for this season. Though it is a challenge in various ways, it is also a joy for us who know you because you have done something for us that we could never repay. We are thankful to you and grateful for you as our great shepherd. Thank you in Jesus' name.